The following podcast contains spoilers and words like piss, shit, and fuck. We watch it. Everybody and welcome back to We Watched a Thing. This week is very, very special. This week's very special because I'm lucky enough to be joined by a great man, a patron of the show. Top level patrons get the privilege of not only picking a movie but getting to come on and talk to me about it. And this is the first time that's happened. So everybody, say hello to Mr. David Powell. How you doing, mate? I'm doing very well. Hello, world. <laughs> I'm excited for this. It feels like I've been off mic for ages. L- luckily, I had recorded last week's episode early because I didn't get to record last week because, unfortunately, my family and I caught the COVID, which is a bit rough. So that's why I haven't gotten to Batman yet. But I know that you got to it already and loved it. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My Batman oh, voice. man. So bummed. <laughs> I've uh, I've heard you do uh, on the countdown, which we're both uh, patrons of. I've heard you do their um their trivia game. Will this be your first public podcasting appearance? It is you're oh. taking my cherry? <laughs> I'm honoured. <laughs> oh, this is exciting. So yeah, as mentioned, you got to pick the movie, and you uh, I I feel bad. This was a blind spot for me. I'd never seen this, but you threw out the director Tarsum. And said that you wanted to work through his entire filmography. I hadn't seen a single one, he's, which I feel ashamed to admit. Yeah, well, he's, he's one of those guys who he sort of came out of that 90s, almost directorial rat pack of music video commercial directors along, yeah. you know, maybe Fincher and Spike Jones, etc. Um, but never kind of hit those heights. He hasn't done. He hasn't done a lot of films. He's done like five or six or something. But I remember seeing this film um, when it came out and just being, you know, blown away by it. It was like wasn't like anything I'd ever seen before. So I've sort of followed him since then. Yeah, I remember this film being a big deal when it came out, and I believe it was nominated for an Oscar for makeup. It was nominated for best makeup ah, at the yeah. Oscars. Yep. Won an MTV Movie Award for Best Costuming for Jennifer Lopez. Um, I remember it being a really big deal when it came out, and I just somehow never got around to it. It was pretty early in that initial J-Lo heyday when she was kind of flavour du jour, and it was, I don't know, I mean, I can't think of the top made. It probably wouldn't have been her first thing, I'm sure, but it would have been fairly early in that run of success she had. Yeah, yeah. And this was right before we got to Jiggly. People started to turn on her. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this would have been after Jack with Robin Williams. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. That takes you back, doesn't it? Yeah. Probably pre-Made in Manhattan, though. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, let's get straight into it then. We are, of course, talking about The Cell, which is a 2000 science fiction psychological horror film directed by, as we said, Tarsum Singh in his directorial debut. It stars Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn, and Vincent D'Onofrio. And David, what is it about, mate? Oh, well, (laughs) sort of in that flurry of post-seven serial killer movies, um, we have a Vinnie D'Onofrio playing a serial killer who's got a, a young girl captive somewhere, and Vince Vaughn and co are desperately trying to find her before the clock runs out, and are forced to engage the services of a 
let's call it dubious fringe <laughs> scientific mob who are um, playing around with the technology of entering people's dreams um, and are forced to go into D'Onofrio's character's dreams because he's suffered a massive aneurysm and is unable to answer questions any other way and craziness ensues. <laughs> so, I mean, hit me with it then. Let's start. What What is it you love so much about this movie? Would this be in, say, for example, your top 100 films? It could be. Um, certainly at the time that I saw it and, and in sort of the, the, the few years following, it would have been very high up. Watching it again recently, it's probably dropped down a little bit. Um, yeah. having seen his subsequent work, because the things that are obviously striking about it are all of those visual elements, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. Um, yeah. And at the time that I saw this initially, I'd never seen anything like it, and it blew my socks off. He's since, you know, in subsequent films, kind of polished that identity a little bit and I think has has done better work. But I still think this is a, a, a unique picture. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting, you know, you brought up, Fincher before they obviously kind of were in the same fields working in advertising and and primarily music videos yep. and stuff. And then you also brought up Seven and you're right the kind of the correlations between these two films are striking even though they are very very different films. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember seeing an interview with Tarsum years ago because he's he's I believe at the time, certainly, I and mean, I'm assuming still is quite quite good mates with both Fincher and Spike Jones, yeah, and right. yeah. uh, either the cell or the fall opens. It's presented by uh, Fincher and yeah. Jones. That's um, the fall, yes. It's yes. the fall, is it? Yeah. Um, that blew my mind when I saw that because I, I watched the fall before this actually. Oh, okay. And so that was the first thing I saw, and I was like, "Holy damn. shit! This is some <laughs> real damn cred." <laughs> and I, I think, full disclosure, I don't think they were producers or anything. I think they presented it at a festival or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember him describing himself as sitting somewhere in between those two directors where yeah. Jones, um, I'm going to stuff up how he described it, but um, his description was that Spike Jones would, focus was entirely on character, so he wouldn't care if a shot was off or whatever, if the delivery was right, he would keep yeah. it. Whereas Fincher would scrap an entire scene, <laughs> no matter how good the acting was, if an actor's head was slightly out of frame and yeah. um, sort of put himself halfway between the two. I think he's yeah. probably far more towards the Fincher end. I think he's much more about the visuals than about yeah. character, certainly in this film. Yeah. But I think this film even tonally kind of sits between the two. Like this is it's kind of an oddball grim noir thriller in some ways. Like mm. this is almost like if Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman had a crack at rewriting Seven, this is almost <laughs> like what you would get. It's kind of it's so offbeat, but mm. something about it really works i was sucked into the the kind of detective procedural of it all it was it really blew me away i gotta say yeah it's, it's weird i i found on the re-watching only about a week ago that that was the side that i was enjoying more probably because yeah. the 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 surprise of the crazy ass dream stuff wasn't there yeah but i wanted more of the how are they going to find her? Where is she? Will they get there in time? The clock's ticking, the water's filling up in the tank and all of that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could have done with more of that. And obviously the focus for him was very much on the artistic journey uh, that he was yeah. having. And 
I certainly initially didn't pick up on it, but on subsequently and having read up about it years ago, etc., it's literally just a, a, a massive conglomeration of references to various artworks um, that I'm assuming yeah. Tarson was a big fan of when he was going through art school. And you've got nods to Geiger, you've got um, nods to specific paintings, etc. Presumably mates in the music video world, there's some Mark Romanek almost stuff lifted straight out of Madonna and Marilyn Manson videos in there. Yeah. And watching it, you know, on subsequent viewings and, and knowing all of those and just sort of being able to pick them out was, was quite a joy. Yeah, I agree. This is not a complaint that I have often about films, but I could have done with this being longer because mm. I, I agree. I think slightly more of that balance between those two sides of it could have made it even more impactful mm. for me, I think. Yeah. Let's talk cast then. The three big key players in this film. Mm. Are you are you a fan of these three individually? I'm a uh, J Lo. I like. I don't think yeah. anyone's ever going to be throwing Oscars at her. But I, <laughs> I all even crappy stuff like Made in Manhattan. <laughs> I, I still enjoy her on screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think she has an inherent more so than about probably her. someone who's more talented like Nicole Kidman, where I will actually yeah. avoid watching her in something. I'll I'll, I'll happily watch a J Lo movie and, and enjoy. That's how her I am with Kate Blanchett. I'll, I'll always avoid Kate Blanchett, <laughs> but I'll happily watch any old shit yeah, with Anne Hathaway. The, the world knows that you're wrong there, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vince Vaughn, I, I I've liked him in some things. But I find he often really grates. This is um, interesting. This is exactly where I was getting with my question. It's I was hoping for this answer because I feel the same but way. This is this is very very baby faced Vinnie Vaughan. It is. I think we're, we're what young three years post swingers or something. He's he's only just done that god awful Gus Van Sant psycho piece of shit. I forgot he was in that. I think Jeez. I think that was the film before. This, because this is what two thousand or something. Yeah, yeah this that, would have that, been that tracks. Yeah. So he's only been acting for about four years, five years or something. I think he's he's very young. So yeah, he did he didn't bother me. It, it's it's later Vaughn that tends to grate. I think a little. Um, D'Onofrio's just a legend. Love him and everything. And I I oh. think this is just one of his best performances ever. I I agree. I think his the character and his portrayal of it for me is up there with Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs mm. in terms of you know that. That style of character, he is, he's terrifying in this film. And and then towards the end, where he's both sort of King Strager, if you if you will, um, the the god figure in his own mind. But he's yeah. he, he then sort of trots out this gentle, tragic persona as an yeah. adult, um, which uh, came out of left field. I wasn't expecting that. I thought that. The child version was going to be the sympathetic one, and then you'd have the horrible yeah. version. And then there was this sort of adult but sympathetic version um, that I thought he nailed. Yeah, I because it's not an easy thing to do or to even attempt to expect an audience to have sympathy for a character like this who you know has done these things. Mm. Like, he he's horrific, and yet you really do feel terribly for him by the end of this film. And that's there's something to be said for that full perspective of looking inside someone's mind and, you know, seeing his glimpses of his childhood and seeing the yeah, way that he thinks, like... Considering, I think, the, the very first time we see him on screen, he's hanging upside down from hooks, <laughs> having masturbating while he watches a woman yeah. drown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to feel <laughs> sympathy horrific. for that character. 
<laughs> I know, it's nuts. And yet somehow Tarsum really Tarsum and D'Onofrio really pull it off, I think. Yeah. Like and again it's an interesting one because I don't think I don't think that's even necessarily needed. Like I don't I don't think that you need to leave this film having that level of sympathy because that's not really what it's no, I mean, out. ultimately, you, you you want the girl to be rescued and you want him to be exactly. defeated. That's kind of the the gist of the journey. But yeah, um, weirdly, the st- and and I don't even know that it occurred to me the first time I saw it that the culmination of the story isn't the girl getting rescued. I mean, Vince Vaughn that that, that plays out, but the yeah. culmination is her rescuing D'Onofrio's character. Yes, and yeah. allowing him to to die, you know, and be freed from himself, which yeah. is a very weird way to take it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. What did you think of, uh, the, obviously, the, the the big thing is the dream stuff. What did you think of that? the visual stylings of all of those sequences? I adored it. I, I loved it. Like, I think, obviously, you know, from a production perspective, you know, we're now- 22 years on, I think there is some stuff that has dated slightly. There was a, um, there's a particular CG bit that I can imagine you rolled your eyes at that was almost Lawnmower Man level of. <laughs> I think, I can't remember. One of the bits, I think it's when Vince Vaughn's going in, and I, I, I assume to sort of signify the disorientation that he has with that as opposed to J-Lo, who's done it heaps of times, and he yeah. goes through the swirly CG stuff that yeah. <laughs> looks a bit shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that said, there is some stuff. I mean, I think as far as visual language goes, I think it holds up tremendously well, yeah. and it's a gorgeous film to look at. Yeah. Like, I think that there are many, many shots from this film that you could just take a still image of and hang on a wall, and it would be beautiful. Yeah. And when you combine... I think even though there's some of the CG that doesn't quite hold up, I mean, that's to be expected. Like yeah. like I said, it's a 22-year-old film. When you combine the CG work that is done with the costuming and the practical design and the landscapes and everything that they're in, yeah. it it sings. The, the scene where she, the first time she's inside his mind and she comes across all the women in cells and they're all, you know- The Marilyn Manson bit. <laughs> yeah, they're all basically Barbie dolls and- like the costuming in that scene and and the tension oh, it's that is created, creepy shit, isn't it? Fucking tense. And then when big buff Barbie oh, comes up, out, yeah, yeah, like it. That came out actually. Of left well, I thought that was going to be seat. him when you sort of yeah. see behind the glass, and out comes this Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be him as well. I thought that was him as his kind of big buff kind of who he is in his mind. Mm. And then, no, it, it just, it really threw me. And I think visually there's so much happening in this film that, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And I think with a film like this, and not to get ahead of myself, but with the fall as well that comes later, mm. I think that's absolutely true. I think that you could almost see this working as a silent film to some extent. <laughs> it's, oh, it is. It's a, the, the dream bits are literally an assemblage of artwork, you know, live yeah. action artworks. And- um, one of my favourite sequences when Vince Vaughn's character first goes in and finds himself on this sort of undulating sand dunes and there's these three women sitting there, mouths agape, staring into the sky and then one by one turn, whisper to him and then jump back to staring at the sky. It, creepy as hell. And it, yeah. it's a recreation of a, I think it's a, what is it, Dutch or Norwegian painting it's by a 
painter called, I want to say Odd Nerdstrom. I yeah, could be butchering that. name. <laughs> um, and, but um, it's worth looking up because he's, he's, he's literally recreated it, this painting and then animated it with creepy voices and stuff. And it, it's just such a striking image of those, with those women just yeah. staring into the sky. Yeah, Asto- right. Just astonishing stuff. The thing I actually found, because it, it is, there's, there's, there's recreations of Geiger paintings. There's one bit where she walks into this massive green cavern and it's, it's almost the navigator ship from Alien. Yeah. There's the, the horse thing, which is a recreation of a installation art, British, there's a, I don't know if you know Damien Hurst. He, installation artist, a Brit, Brit, British guy, I think, and does a lot of this sort of cadaver stuff with- Yeah, right, yeah. Bits of animals in perspex and that sort of thing. And, th- and that yep. horse, uh, he, he did a similar thing with a cow um, some years back. But there's a whole bunch of these things all strung together. And then to, right at the end, when they're searching his house and they find that, I think it's a Caravaggio painting of the torture of whatever, which is what happened with the entrails being pulled out. Yeah. I always took that to mean that Strager was obsessed with art. And so his mind was- a assemblage of all of these artworks yep. that he was familiar with. But I don't, th- I, I think Tarson could have done more to make that apparent because yep. you kind of get that painting and Vince Vaughn goes, oh, that's what happened to me. But if they'd sort of seen kind of like the unveiling of Kaiser Soze at the end of Usual Suspects, yeah, you, yep. you sort of go, oh, that and that and that. I could, I think, and I, it may be on a cutting room floor somewhere, but yep. in my mind, there's a scene where they see you know, maybe there's a guy got a book on the shelf and maybe he's got to make it clear why he's got all of these things in there because otherwise you sort of come away going, well, Tarsum's just kind of thrown in a bunch of shit that he likes. <laughs> and I think yeah. it works better if there's a reason for it rather than yeah. he's just inspired by a whole bunch of art that he likes. Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. I think to some extent that's what's so kind of cool about the premise is that I think even – even for someone who's not obsessed with art, I think the inside of a human brain must be completely good. Mm. (laughs) And it would just be this mishmash of things that you've taken in, even subconsciously, you know, things things that you watched on television 10 years ago and don't remember might be really prominent in the landscape of your brain. I I think if if I have to put money on what the inside of a mind looks like, it's much more this than Inception. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I don't think you're in a, in someone else's dreamscape. You're sitting there going, "Is this reality? Am I just sitting in a cafe?" <laughs> yeah. No, there's flying pigs and shit exploding and weird stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Creepy women weird. staring at the sky. What What do you reckon the inside of your brain would be like if J Lo was hooked up to the old Pauli machine? And, and was, I thought you were about to say, inside. "In the inside my brain, I've got J Lo hooked up to something." <laughs> I mean, well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it would be an insane melting pot of pop art and comic book characters and scantily clad women far too young for me all running around. (laughs) Podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) What would yours be, Billy? Oh, it's things I can't say on my. <laughs> You'd have Ben Affleck um, frolicking there somewhere. Oh, Affleck would be very prominent in my brain for sure. <laughs> so, um, and therefore, you know, J Lo probably would as well, I guess, because you know my brain is stuck in the early two thousands. I still You'd be think there that having together. beers with Ben Affleck while J Lo and Jennifer Garner wrestled for your favours. <laughs> 
not a bad brain to live in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely touch on this in future films. Um, but the MVP of this film for me is not Tarsem Singh. It's Aiko Ishioka, the costume designer. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I had vivid memories. Like I said, I hadn't just seen- unbelievable. I hadn't seen this film before, and yet I had vivid, vivid memories of J-Lo in that red suit. <laughs> and did it look familiar? It Because she recycled it from another film. Did she? What film? Um, Eiko Ishioko tragically only ever won the Academy Award once, and it was for the film she did prior to this, which was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so, that, that J-Lo's outfit that she goes into the dreamscape was previously on a rather weird-looking Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah, with that giant love that, heart hairdo. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's obviously based on um, the muscular like muscle, of, yeah. you know, of yep. the, the body without skin. Um, but, yeah, no, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that looks familiar. And then later on when I read about this incredible woman um, who- didn't do a lot of films. Um, yeah, right. Tragically, she, she died about 10 years ago, I think, um, sadly. Um, she did Dracula and mm-hmm. she did Tarsum's films. And I don't think she did anything else. She was she did, had other, yeah, right. other, you know, she's a fashion designer and an artist and, and all sorts of other things in Japan, I think. But, um, yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And then um, I think she did, uh, she did The Cell, she did The Fall, uh, she did Mirror Mirror. And I think she did the Immortals for Tarsum, and then I think that was the end of her costuming career. That's um, very sad. Yeah, her, I mean, her. Wow, work there's is- no one like her when it comes to costuming. No. Some of that stuff is just incredible. That, um, and I'm sure part of it's CG, but I'm, um, she would have designed it. But when you first see Strager in his sort of king his, guise, and when, he's when got his cape, Big Bertha carries Jalo in, and it just purple the, curtains. the curtains just yeah follow. Um, wow. Yeah, what yeah, it's, it is beautiful. I mean, like I said, that entire sequence, the costuming on all of those women is so perfectly terrifying. Mm. Like, it's just unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy stuff. Um, what she's able to do practically, because, I mean, the selves, Tarsum's got a lot of CG going on for- backgrounds and stuff but all of the costume stuff um is obviously practical the the textures and things that and, and effects that she was able to create there's that one where when you're in JLo's mind towards the end in her sort of weird paradise where you get that just inspired gold filigree that works its way across the screen just out of the blue um <laughs> yeah that's one of the cg elements that i was like that's kind of dated <laughs> i i can't tell if that's supposed to be actually within the shot but it looks like like an instagram border or something <laughs> like it's so clearly on top of everything else. Oh, it is it's, it's on the screen <laughs> yeah yeah um but when when he intrudes and the, the the water sort of gets dark and he comes out all reptilian yeah um just creepy as all hell yeah and he, he's got there's like a weird sort of scaled um it's it, it sort of starts as a surface on the water but as he emerges from it, it sort of becomes this almost scaly cloak that he then throws off. And it, it's obviously made of, it looks like it's made of rubber or something when it hits the ground. But the effect of him rising out of the water and sort of pulling it with him as a cloak, yeah. um, really striking stuff. 
Yeah, that's one thing that I love. It's the same as we mentioned it before, the him with the cape that rolls out into this giant purple curtain. Mm. The way that the costumes blend with the landscape, which is so perfect for this concept of yeah, because it's all inside him. someone's mind. Like yeah. exactly, he is the landscape. Like yeah. it's it's all him. I think it's brilliant work. Yeah, mm. so there's a, a couple of other shots which have always stuck with me. Um, one of which I think I, I, I distinctly recall was. I think the final shot in the trailer when it was first released where J-Lo thinks that she's woken up. So she's in the suit, she's suspended. She thinks that the, the, bed, the yeah. bed rises up and she thinks she's woken up, gets off, walks over to the corner to f- check this fuse box or whatever and looks back and she's still there and realizes, oh, I'm still here. The, there's a perspective change where she gets smaller and smaller, that forced perspective thing that Jackson did in yeah. The Hobbit to, to make – Oh, it's small. Um, and she sort of shrinks down scared and then suddenly she's in a glass cube. Yes. On the top yep. on the top of a pillar. And even watching it n- numerous times, I still don't pick where it changes. Yeah. I don't know I if was you're exactly zooming close enough. I watched that, that scene see, twice. <laughs> but, but her costume changes as well. It should be yeah. really a, jarring, that, but it's not. Suddenly you, you zoom out and, oh, my God, she's in this cube. Um, yeah. Which she then opens the top and falls up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, my God, this is a dream world. That's what would happen. And yet the weirdest thing about this film is that, I don't know about you, maybe it was just me, but while I was watching it, I was never distracted by how trippy anything was. Like, this wasn't one of those... It, it's weird. As strange as this film is, it never felt like a fever dream to me. Like, it all felt like it had flow and and it's so strange even when she's falling up you're like yeah that would happen (laughs) i don't know why i can't explain why i get that feeling from it but it it all feels very natural yeah i think um, not so much with that scene but i think with a lot of it because you're so focused on the little logical connections between the craziness and his life you're sort of latching on to those things that she's latching on to so like she's focused on on the boy so all the craziness is kind of just the landscape that he's in and, and you're kind of focused on the boy and and those really harsh scenes of his childhood, oh, uh, particularly geez. where she's in the closet and yeah. the father's That's beating the kid scene. and burning with the iron and all. And, um, just the sound design in that oh, scene is horrific. That like, was you can't actually even see that scene. much, but it's, yeah. So, yeah, I think you're drawn so much into her focus that you kind of just absorb the rest of it without going, oh, crazy women looking at the sky and- <laughs> Yeah. I, it's a similar feeling that I got watching Lost, I guess, where you're so focused on the characters and that showed us such a beautiful job of really piecing these characters together by showing you like their past, their future, their present, all these things simultaneously. And I guess this film does a very similar thing. And yeah. because you are so in- intent on those characters, you just- Yeah, yeah it, it you- takes like- Four seasons for you to learn why there's polar bears there, but you don't spend four years going, why are there fucking polar bears? <laughs> well, some people did. Some people did, and those people were wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> Anyone out there who doesn't like people. Lost, I'm sorry, you're dumb. Lost is incredible. <laughs> yep. And the ending was great. So oh, you yeah, one, of, one of the best endings. <laughs> what an amazing assemblage of supporting actors. Yeah. The entire FBI are like these awesome, there's James Gammon and Jake Weber and all these people. They, they've got like one line each. 
And I'm just, I didn't notice the first time round when I saw it because I didn't know who any of these people were. But yeah. watching it now, and I'm just going like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed it. But the girl that's, that they're trying to save, the, the, one, the yeah, current yeah, victim, yeah. her uh, fiancé, boyfriend or whatever, is Peter Sarsgaard. Not even credited. <laughs> no way. I did not notice that. <laughs> and then you've got, I mean, Vince Vaughn's doing all the heavy lifting, but yep. then you've got like four or five of these like meaty, meaty character actors around him with fuck all lines. They're just there. You know, a couple of them have got a few, you know, maybe a wisecrack or a one-liner or something. <laughs> but it's it's a really, really stacked cast of solid character actors. And then you've got oh, yeah. you've got um, Dylan Baker and uh, what's her name, Marianne Jean Baptiste, as the two scientists that yep. JLo's working with. Like, there's there's no kind of day players in there. No, no, he, he's no. got and- you know money actors in every single slot. Yeah, and they're all doing their job too. Honestly, oh, like, yeah. I like, I I don't feel like we've even fairly said quite enough about J Lo yet. I actually think that she is fantastic in this role. I think oh, I she can't, is- can't fault her. She's not. No, she's not wooden. She's not phoning it in. I, I think particularly some of the, um, some of the scenes with Edward, the other boy. Yeah. Um, are really quite. They're probably, I, I think more surreal almost than all of the stuff in Strager's yeah. mind. Um, yeah. The, 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 I mean, the, I think the film kicks off really strongly with her in the desert. In the desert, um, yeah, I agree. And yeah. when we get to the floor, Tarson loves his distant <laughs> giant dunes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that whole sequence where she's on the horse and then the horse becomes the statue and then yeah. um, she finds him and he does that, turns into the creepy- Mocky lock, wow! Um, yeah. That's all just such a strong opening, yeah, and, and a, and a, a I, yeah. pretty ballsy way to open a film because <laughs> on a first watch you're just going, "Is the whole film like this? What the fuck <laughs> is going on?" <laughs> I do have one question, plot-wise, and maybe you can answer this for me. Maybe it's something I missed in my fevered COVID upstate. Um, why? Why did they have to send her in to Strager's mind? Like, I know that she's been the one doing this experiment because she's a child psychologist and she's been yep. conducting it with various children. But it's clear that she's not the only one who can do it. Like, later on, they send Vince Vaughn in to help her out. Like, as the FBI, why are they sending this untrained woman into a serial killer's mind? I, I'm assuming it's because she's familiar with the process and is not going to be disoriented and is more likely to be able to delve through as she does and find her way yeah. through the craziness. Whereas if you just dropped Vince Vaughn in, he'd probably still be with the crazy ladies in the dunes or having his entrails <laughs> yeah. ripped out. Um, even though she does get sort of lost for a while there, um, yeah. I think had he gone in by himself, they would have just, by Vince. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, that's- I'm assuming that's the reason because she, she's the only one who's done this a lot of times. Um, yeah. I think they say at one point um, they tried doing it with two psychologists, but but Edward wouldn't talk to anyone else. So no one else has done it for ages. She's done it presumably hundreds of times. Yeah. One more thing I really like about the film is the score by Howard Shaw. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Howard Shaw fan. This 
this until I saw his name there. This doesn't feel like a Howard Shaw score to me. This is very, uh, very modern and almost techno elements to it at times. It yeah. really works. So refresh me because you're the. This is your Billy Bingo, Billy Bingo thing. Um, Howard Shaw. Why do I? What are some of his big? I don't know. He sort of. Pre-Zimmer, he was one of your guys along with John Williams, etc. But I can't put yeah. my finger on well, any right of the around big this ones. time, of course, Lord of the Rings. Oh shit! Okay, so he did, of course, Lord of the Rings as well as The Hobbit. Scanners. Is he Titanic. Uh, no, that was James Horner. Horner Titanic. Yeah, but see, I think of them as having very similar kind of orchestral styles, which is you know, like you can always pick a, a John Williams score, yeah. for example. And that's why this score kind of really threw me when I realized it was Howard Shaw, because it's very, very different to me. He did The Fly, Big, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, okay. was shit, Howard that was Shaw. a good score. Yeah, I mean, fantastic work, but I, I really, really like his score for this. Mm. Yeah, no, I remember noting as, as I went watch on the rewatch going, you know what, this is a pretty awesome score. And I saw the name and I went, Howard Shaw. Oh, okay, what's well, a name I know, but I couldn't put my finger on what else he's <laughs> done. But I'm fairly sure that this isn't his normal kind of bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is an odd, an odd choice. I, I would have expected him, given the really obvious influence of people like Trent Reznor. I mean, you've got, you've got yes the, that whole Mark Romanek Nine Inch Nails closer thing happening with the the creepy women um, and the dolls and the that that whole bit is is very sort of a nod, I think, to his mate Mark Romanek's. Yeah. Video, music videos, I would have expected like a Trent Reznor score or something. This might have been before Trent started doing scores, but that, That's what I, I would have expected say. that a more of an industrial thing than yeah. getting a traditional yeah. classicist to I, do it. I feel like that's become much more on trend later. Like I'm pretty sure, my memory could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that um, Social Network was Reznor's first score, which was yeah. 2010. Yeah, he's-, he's um, yeah, and so since then, of course, we've had things like Tom York score Suspiria a couple of years ago. Like, I think yep. it's become a bit of a bigger thing for musicians like that to. But I, I agree. I think Half someone radio like that would do more scores than <laughs> yeah. actual touring now because Johnny does a bunch. <laughs> yeah, but something like that would have been really cool for this film. I agree, but I, that's why I was blown away when I saw Howard Shaw's name because I think he kind of captured that feel really well. Yeah, to, because I, I tell you who who was doing stuff then of that ilk is Clint Mansell. Yeah, right, yeah. Because he, he'd been doing – I'm sure he was do, scoring stuff then because he, he'd left Populate itself years before and I'm sure he was doing scores. He would have been a, a more logical fit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Than, a, you know, your, your traditional classical composers. But yeah. nah, good pick. Howard <laughs> nailed it. I was surprised by how well it held up. I was kind of nervous. Um <laughs> So, uh, full disclosure, when I when I kind of threw Tarsum on the table and said, hey, let's do all the Tarsum shit, um, <laughs> it, 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 it's an excuse to get you to watch The Fall and Mirror Mirror, basically. Um, <laughs> but the cell's obviously the kicking off point, and I was a little nervous that it might not hold up because I hadn't seen it in 15 years or something. But, yeah. no, pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, so how are you scoring it out of 10? I'm probably going to sit around an 8. I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. If I was being objective, it'd, I'd maybe be a seven and a half. But yep. I just, it's so striking and it's so unique. And given that it's his first feature, yep. it's, I mean, it's such a baller move to come out of the gate with this thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm an eight. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm right around that mark. I'm a seven. I, I could see myself slipping up to an eight, and I think if I had have seen this film at the time, this would have uh, yeah. been one of those films. You know, and around that period, I was right fucking into you know like being John Malkovich, which mm. coincidentally enough, I'm doing next week on the show. <laughs> one of my all time. Wow, favorites. I haven't and seen I- that since it came out. Right. So that Damn. was the year before this. Mm. And so I was right into that kind of trippy, you know, like this. Jeez, this that was an exciting been- time for movies, wasn't it? With, oh, with wasn't all, it? all of your, all of those music video guys yeah. hitting the streets, yeah. doing features and just coming at it with this hyperkinetic visual overload of and, and, you know, quirky plots and coming at it yeah. from a, I'm used to cramming everything into three to four minutes. Yeah. I'm going to give you 90 minutes of that. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, you go back a decade or so and with the direct, even the, my, you know, some of my favorite, say, sort of more idiosyncratic auteur directors like a Nick Rurg or a, yeah. um, John Cassavetes or, a, you know, even a Tarantino or whatever, they're still coming at it from a, a more traditional, traditional point of view. I'm a movie yeah. fan. I might dabble in TV and then I work my way into features. And it's a, it's a particular sort of narrative and, and visual language that they bring. And they, they might twerk, you know, tweak it around and be more creative or whatever. But then in the 90s, you just had these almost rock stars coming in and you, you get things like Fight Club and, yeah. you know, John Malkovich, being John Malkovich and-, and and it's, I'm sure it comes from having to create four minutes of blow your socks off visuals to accompany a song. <laughs> yeah. So they've got this massive palette of, of an, an arsenal of visual language at their disposal that they've built up over years. Yeah. And let's face it, the guys at that level, your, your Tarsums and your Spike Jones and Chris Cunningham's and th- those guys, they're getting millions of dollars to make four minutes, you, yeah. you extrapolate yeah. that out, they're, they're, they're working with the equivalent of like a $500 million movie budget. So they're yeah. used to not cutting corners and just going, boom. Yeah, um, definitely. And yeah. it's, uh, I think it, it, movies as a whole took a, a, a weird leap in, in the 90s because of yeah. maybe five or six guys who all came from that background. I agree. And not just willingness to experiment with like, the visual language of film, but even from a storytelling perspective, you know, like this film, I I don't think this is the kind of film that storytelling wise was done at the time. It reminds me a lot of like a Stephen King story. And again, I think yeah. he's a kind of writer who, because he did a lot of short stories, he again is good at really just experimenting with what, what a narrative can be. And I think this film just, it's, it's really cleverly put together, I think. Yeah, and and I think, and we touched on it before, that captures the weirdness of the subconscious a lot better than something like Inception, even though that's pretty much a perfect film. <laughs> the Cell, and I don't know if you remember a uh, probably an 80s film, Dennis Quaid film called Dreamscape. Yes, I remember Dreamscape, yeah. That's the other one I'd sort of go, that kind of gets a little bit of how mad it would be inside someone's mind as well. Yeah. Um, as a, a weird hot take from the bowels of my memory. Um, <laughs> you're, the, you're the first person I've met who's actually heard of that film. <laughs> oh, man, it's been a long time. I I grew up on um, 
80s films. I was very close with my aunties who, one of my aunties was, you know, she was a teen in the 80s. So I grew up listening to The Cure, which was weird for a kid, you know, when I grew up, but um, massive Robert Smith fan. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, no, I, I remember Dreamscape. They had the VHS of it. <laughs> I've got the DVD. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> But man, thank you so much for joining me to chat about this. This has been awesome. I don't know, do you have do you have anything anything to plug? I don't know if you've got anything personally, but like I know you listen to a lot of other podcasts. I think you found me through listening to the to the countdown. Is is there anything that you want to plug or point people towards? Um, is there a specific film that you would like to say people to go watch this week? Oh well, I'm, I mean, apart from the Batman, which is just fucking incredible. Ah, uh, see, I'm so bummed I haven't got to it yet. <laughs> Um, no, it's I, I. Anyone who's on the fence about whether Pattinson's going to be good, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best Batman movie ever made. Um, nice. Technically, I'm sort of on the fence between this and maybe Dark Knight as to what's the better film. But as a Batman movie, Matt Reeves is just killing, absolutely fantastic. Well, all going well. Hopefully I'll clear up over the next couple of days and we'll get an episode out on that soon. And next week, as Kyle mentioned before, I'll be joined by Emily Higgins from Tasteless to talk about being John Malkovich next Thursday. Which is gonna be oh, me too. She's great. <laughs> cool. Alright. Well in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at rewatchthehing.com or rewatchthehing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at rewatchthehing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash rewatch the game. And I'll catch you next week. Go watch a movie. Hey, I was hoping you'd do it. <laughs>